It shapes our world. What power do we really have? Does it come with incredible wealth or with a position of governance? There is a power that comes from God. A power that enables. A power that changes lives forever. The power of prayer. Kia ora, good morning everybody. Well, we couldn't, couldn't start a series about the power of God without talking about the power of prayer first, could we? Because we know that prayer is the foundation stone by which our relationship with God exists. And uh, today, I'm not going to sort of stand up here and say, pray more, pray more, pray more, because that would be far too easy and you'll probably just feel guilty as a result of that. So what I'm going to do this morning is just discuss with you prayer and how prayer not only changes our world, but changes us. And so this morning, we're going to take a little bit more of a, a philosophical look at it, as well as a practical look at it. So we're going to be mixing these two things up. Uh, so first of all, um, I just want to lead us in prayer so that we begin this time together in God's presence. Father, we, we are reminded um, that relationships are just who you are and what you're all about. You are a relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet you make your habitation with us. And so we're drawn into relationship, and relationship is the very thing that you sent your son Jesus to die for, that we might be able to live in your presence and draw pleasure from knowing you. And so, God, we just want to commit this time to you and ask you to open our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there was a, uh, a minister who walks into his church and one afternoon and he finds this young man earnestly at prayer, earnestly at prayer. And he draws a little bit closer because he was quite impressed with this. And he thought, what's the guy praying about? And all he could hear him saying was, New York, New York, New York, New York. And so he left them there for a little while. And he came back and drew a little bit closer again another time. And all he could hear was going, New York, Lord, New York, New York. And so this young guy finished his prayer. And the minister uh, interrupted him as he was walking out. And he said, um, it's really great to see you at prayer. What was it that you were praying? I just heard you mentioning New York all the time. And he said, yeah, I've just come from a geography exam, and uh, I was asking God if he could rename the capital of France New York. <laughs> now, some of us have uh, probably prayed prayers a little bit like that ourselves. You know, we want to wind back time to be able to have our run all over again. But there are certain things that God can answer and will answer, but there's certain things that he won't, and we're going to have a look at this as well. But just to, just to raise a little bit of faith in a funny, unusual way, um, I've told this story before, but I've got pictures with this this time, so I'm, I'm excited about it, um, just for those who are needing this to inspire their imagination. Uh, the Lower Hutt Baptist Church, back in 2008, was wanting to shift from their site, where they owned a church building, down into the middle of Lower Hutt and purchase an old uh, shopping mall and cinema complex. So big decision for them to sell the existing church and take on quite a sizable debt, become a landlord to a whole lot of businesses, as well as take on these cinemas as their new home. And so they called the church to pray and to fast, and then they were going to make a decision on a given Sunday morning. 
Well, on Saturday night, a storm blew fiercely and a bolt of lightning whipped down and took out the roof and the steeple of the church, the church that they were in the process of selling or hoping to sell or at least looking for the will of God. And so when the church gathered on that Sunday morning, um, wanting to know whether God had spoken or not, there wasn't a great deal of argument, was there? Uh, so they, they sold the building and shifted to their current location. Uh, as it happened, the lead and all the wiring in the roof of the church was completely destroyed. So it might not look like a very big hole there, but it was a very expensive job for the new owner to fix with his new insurance policy, thankfully. So uh, great story. I wish we all had those lightning bolt ex- well, not literally, but wish we had those sort of experiences when we get or are looking for an answer to prayer. Wouldn't that be so good? Eh? Make it nice and clear and obvious for us. But uh, prayer, in its simplest form, is about abiding. Now, abiding is not the sort of word that we use much in today's colloquial language where we talk in sort of idiom and, uh, and metaphor, but d- abiding means to remain, to dwell, and to endure. And so for us to talk about prayer, prayer is in its first instance being in the presence of God. Often we think it's about conversation. Okay, God, sit down. I've got things to tell you and things to ask of you. I'd like to give you a little bit of advice, and I'd like you to answer these questions, and I'd like you to provide for me in this certain way. And uh, that's how prayer can begin. But prayer is about abiding. It's being in the presence of the Lord so that not only can you speak to the Lord, but he can speak back to you. And so whatever it takes for you to abide is what I want to address this morning. For some of you, silence is a a real gift, is a real treat. And you create space for yourself to be able to just sit and to meditate. For others, it'll be music that brings you into that greater sense of relationship with God. For others, it'll be understanding theology, you know, Diving deep into scriptures, understanding doctrines, understanding the the salvation story from beginning to end. Uh, For others, it'll be relationships. You love to be able to be with others when you pray because you draw strength from another person's prayer. And those things are all very, very valid and they're all very personal. And there'll be other things too that bring you into a closer sense of abiding. Um, For us as Christians, we know that Jesus' strongest word to us was in this, area of, in this area of prayer. He talked about this. He said, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And so I come back to this verse time and time again because it's very, very simple, isn't it? It's just being in the presence of God. To be able to hear that whisper from the Lord and to be able to come to a place where your relationship with God is actually transactional. And as much as you listen and you speak and you listen and you speak and you enjoy the presence of God. Psalm 1, the first of the Psalms, starts with these first three verses. And I think this is a great way to start any book. But listen to this. It says here, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. 
So there's two parts of this psalm here, two big themes. The first says, don't, don't hang out with the mockers. Okay, don't take on the company of sinners. Okay, choose your company well. Choose people who are going to be life-giving to you. Because you don't want to go down that road of being those who moan and groan, those who are mocking and cynical about others. That's a well-beaten track. And honestly, there's nothing good that comes from that. They say that in life there are two things that will change your life significantly. One is the book you read, the books you read, and the other are the people you meet. Okay, so just like choosing a good book, you need to choose positive people around you who are going to speak life into your life. And of course, the next part of this this psalm here moves into that life-giving life where you're likened to a tree that lives beside a river and has its roots deep into the water. So regardless of whether it's raining or drought, you're going to be sustained. And we know what that looks like, don't we? We see drought, uh, drought-ridden countries where everything is burnt and brown except for the, the narrow tracks of the streams and rivers where those trees are alive. And the promise there is that we are told we will have fruit in its season. And what it's saying here is that regardless of drought, regardless of storm, we will continue to be fruitful. Now, that's a wonderful promise. And it all comes from abiding, abiding in the word, abiding in prayer, abiding in the presence of God. One of the things about prayer is it has this overflow effect in your life. And one of the powerful things that becomes a fruit or a byproduct of prayer is humility. Humility. You see, when you're praying, something really simple happens, but it's very significant. You're reminded that God is God and you're not Him. Okay, now that sounds really simplistic to say, but in our Western world, we live in a world where we can provide in so many different ways, can't we? We are able. we sort of like, let's do this. I can do this. We can do this. And so a posture of humility where you say, regardless of the authority that I carry, regardless of the resources that I have, regardless of the influence that I have, I choose to pray. I choose to put God first, and I choose to be second. This is, I think this is really challenging, and I think it challenges us more and more as we get older. Because, you know, we, we're always seeking God's help when we're, you know, looking for a life partner, looking for a spouse, looking for education, looking for career opportunities or creating a new business. We're looking for God's help when we're raising a family. Oh, God, please help do anything. Just help me get through these teenage years. Yeah, and so we're, and then we break into a whole new place of life, you know, where um, we might be materially sound, Relationally, we've got good people around us. Our family have uh, matured. And life can be, barring distractions, health problems, I'm just talking real simple terms here, life can be a lot easier. So it's like, God, i got this covered. We're sweet. Thanks very much. And we have to get ourselves into a place where we are making a decision to put God first in our lives a decision, and it's, a, it's an act of will. When you can pay the bills and your children aren't in jail, okay, and your wife loves you and you love your wife, everything's going well, you have to make an active decision to put God first because often prayer is 
based out of a need. Oh, Lord, you need to help me because there's trouble here. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, eh? And so the Western world can suffer from a poverty of prayer. Okay? And then the interesting thing is that I notice over years is that as people get older and their body starts to get a little bit more frail, prayer returns because there's, an, there's a sense of need. And also an awareness comes as people get older and they realize that for all I did, I wasn't doing it anyway, it was God. And I can now partner with God to pray about things that I can no longer physically do. Yeah. So Ben and Michael up here earlier on talking about the youth group, some people here are going to go say, oh, that's beyond me now. You know, I can't do this, but I can pray. And that prayer has a huge impact. So prayer leads to humility. The, uh, the interesting thing that Jesus said about prayer is that prayer needs to be something that is purpose-filled, succinct, and deliberate. It's not babbling. And I like what he said here. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Okay, so God is saying to us, prayer isn't about getting a reward from somebody as you walk down the street babbling. Oh, look at him. He's, look at her. Oh, wow. What super saints they are. It's like God says, no, I see you when you go into that quiet place, lock the door and just spend time with me. I see that. It's about you and me. It's not about anybody else. One of the, one of the uh, interesting things about um, prayer is that when you pray together, uh, it can be quite a challenge. Eh? Have you been in a group where you're praying with others and you feel like you're sort of shooting all over the place? You know, somebody's praying for uh, world peace and somebody's praying for Auntie Martha's ingrown toenail. Yeah, and then next thing you're praying for your kids, and next thing you're praying for somebody's business, and next thing you're praying for the Prime Minister. You ever been in prayer meetings like that? Of course you have. This is, <laughs> this is pretty normal. <laughs> One of the things that uh, I've done over the years when I get a smaller group together, uh, is I, I'm going to describe this in a way that's going to sound a bit funny, but um, we make prayer pizzas together. Now, what do you mean by pizzas? Well, if we got half a dozen of us, and I said, let's make a pizza together. And you all had to name one thing that is a topping. Okay, let's try this. Okay, I've got a base here. I want some people to call out what, we, what goes on the pizza. Mushroom. Mushrooms. Cheese. Cheese. Mozzarella. Mozzarella. Chili. Chili. Sauce. Pineapple. Pineapple. Kiwi. <laughs> Ham. Salami. Okay, we've got a heart attack. We've got a heart attack happening here. So let's slow it down. Yeah, slow it down. All right. So what we've done is we've just drilled down on one topic, how to make a pizza, and everybody has contributed. Okay? Does it make sense? We've got one focus to make a pizza. All right? Now, when we're talking about or praying about certain things, you'll find that if you're, if you're tuning into what God is wanting, somebody will pray something and you're going, man, I don't think we're finished here yet. And so you pray something else concerning that same subject and something else. And then you feel that sense of unity as we all drill down. So if we were together and we said, let's pray for our government, government, what would, what would you pray for? Pray for the Prime Minister. Yep. What else would you pray for? Common sense. Yeah, okay. Change. All right. All right. Let's see what else we're we praying for here. Praying for government. 
Wisdom. Good leadership. Yep. Righteousness. Good stuff, eh? So you're building this sort of pizza, if you like. But what I'm describing here is people who are contributing to one result. Okay? Because when you're praying together, it can be very easy to babble. Praying for the toenails, praying for world peace, praying for the school headmaster, praying for the lady who lost her husband down the road, and you're like this, you know, you're sort of like, I'm like this, you know? But when you focus your prayer, and I try to keep this really simple so that we can understand it, when you're in a time of prayer with your life group or others who you pray with, think about tuning into what God is saying. Somebody says, man, I'll pray for the prime minister. Oh, yeah, let's pray for her family. You know, let's pray for that child. Let's pray for godly influences around her as she learns how to be a new mum. You know, let's, and let's keep on digging deeper so that we actually, we move, what we do is we're moving a normal prayer meeting into intercession, okay? Because there comes a time when all of a sudden you're just carried with a burden. You know, oh, God, our nation just needs this. And you, all of a sudden you're feeling the heart of God for something far deeper than you ever expected. And everybody in that little group is going, oh, I feel it too. And that's when prayer really drills down, you know? And, and it's not this babbling, it's simply intercession that's taken a really normal scenario of prayer and you're breaking into something that you feel God's heart for. I hope that makes sense. And I just use that pizza idea as, as one just to help stimulate your mind about what that can look like. Okay. Let's move on a bit. Jesus also said these words to us in Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, when we read this scripture, we usually, in our head or our heart somewhere, we omit that last scripture. But this all goes together. So when you're being told to ask and you will be given, seek and you will find... God the Father is a good Father. The thing that seals out this deal is the fact that prayer leads us always to others. Okay, so just going back there. See at the end it said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Okay, so prayer ultimately isn't about having your own needs met. It's about you being blessed to be a blessing. Okay, so when you're looking for an answer, and it might not just be a simple answer or a transaction that you're wanting to take place, but you're looking at the bigger picture of what prayer is doing through you and for you and to you. And prayer will always lead to other people, the well-being of other people. So if you're praying that your business is blessed, oh yes, that's fantastic, but it'll be blessed because you can then position yourselves to be a blessing, to help other people, employ more people, take the resources of the kingdom, and spread them into places where God wants you to go. So what happens? What happens when we don't know what to pray? How many of you have been in that situation where you're just like, oh, this is overwhelming. Where do I start? You've been there? I'll put two hands up. Okay, I've been there. 
I can remember um, when I was early on in my Christian life, um, I was making some inquiries about spiritual gifts. And uh, you read this passage here out of Corinthians, and it says, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So they're called the gifts of the Spirit because they're given to us as a gift. We can't choose, okay? We can inquire. We can seek the Lord about what it is that we're gifted to do. And, uh, and we work in keeping with what God would have us do. And so our gifts determine what it is that we will do and how we will serve. Now, I've been a Christian for about nine months, and I was reading this passage, and I thought, oh, what's this gift of tongues all about? And so I went to the front of the church one day, and I was at Otomotai Baptist Church at the time, and um, this old saint, Alan Carter, his name is, some you may know him, he's with the Lord, uh, he was an elder in the church there, and I said to Alan, Alan, what's this gift of tongues all about? I'd, I'd like to receive that gift, because it seems like a good thing. And he's like, ah, oh, okay. So he prayed for me, and he prayed for me, and he prayed for me, and then he said, oh, I think God will give you that gift some other time. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Yeah, I didn't know what to make of that. Anyway, Michaela was expecting our first child. And uh, this is about a week after this time I sought the Lord about this gift of tongues. And one evening I woke up in the middle of the night and I just felt this real heaviness in our home, a real oppression. And we'd had some visitors that day, people who were right into the New Age movement. And we hadn't thought much about that. You know, we'd shared Jesus with them and they toddled off. And anyway, I woke up that night, it's just really, really burdened, just the heaviness in the room. And I was walking around the lounge, just praying, you know, Lord, this is not right. Next thing I hear this funny muffled noise coming from the bedroom. So I go in there and I find Michaela unable to speak. So I'm like, what's going on here? And she was really scared. And so I just, I didn't know what to say. What do you pray when you don't know what to pray? And I just about pray and my mouth just spoke a whole new language. I was like, whoa, what's happened? And that oppression just lifted. And Michaela's like, wow, what happened? I'm like, check this out, you know? Okay, and I, and I just carried on praying in this new language and I was like, that's cool. This must be what tongues is all about, you know? And it seemed like it was just so appropriate at a time when I needed something and I didn't know what to pray. And uh, with the discernment that we had, we knew something wasn't right. And of course, when your wife can barely breathe and can't speak, um, you know, that's something serious. So God gave me that gift. And, and it's something that I use to this day. And it's something that I encourage, but it's something that comes as a gift from the Spirit like all of these gifts up here. They're something that you work through with the Lord by abiding, by praying, by seeking, by being involved, and you find out you know, where it is and how it is that God has gifted you, and, and you should be seeking these gifts of the Spirit. So they're nothing to be scared of, nothing to be frightened about. They're just simply identifying the fact that we have a spiritual nature, 
and the Spirit resides in us and through us. Okay, it's nothing freaky about it at all. So, one of the things about Scripture is that it tells us to be persistent in prayer. So, why are we told to be persistent? Let me just tell you a story, tell you a little parable. I haven't got it on the screen, but a little parable of a woman who was a widow who was suffering injustice, and she went to the judge who said, no, I'm not going to help you. But she would go back time and again, time and again, and she finally wore out the judge. He said, well, look, I'm tired of this woman coming to me, so I'll sort out the problem. Now, this is a parable that talks to us about prayer. It's an odd parable because it makes out like Jesus or the Lord is somebody who doesn't want to answer prayer, but that's not the case. There's a bigger story in here. And that's the persistence that we are told we should have in our lives of prayer. Okay, it's good to pray once, pray accurately, seek the Lord for what it is that you want. But sometimes going back, and as we're told by Jesus, even sometimes to pray and to fast is a way in which we break spiritual strongholds in our lives or over the areas of our life that we're praying for. So why this persistence? Well, the persistence is about whom you're becoming in the process of prayer, we, we can easily think prayer is just doing a shopping list. Prayer is just, here's my list, God. I've got a couple of things here. I'd like, this is like how, how, how I'd like you to run the world. And um, these are a few things that I'd like to have sorted out. And that's what we call praying. But praying is about becoming. Uh, maybe a simple way of illustrating this is when Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing knocked off Mount Everest, but colloquial, wasn't it, what he said there? When he climbed Mount Everest, they climbed Mount Everest, the process in those days, it's not quite so much now, was that they would carry with the Sherpas, they would carry all the gear they needed up to one camp, and they'd go down and they'd carry up, to the ne- up like this. And once they got there, they would go to the next camp, and they're relaying all this gear. And this would go on for literally months. But in that period of time, they're acclimatizing themselves. They're getting fitter, they're getting stronger, they're getting used to living on more oxygen. And so by the time they get to that final camp, they're as good as they're ever going to be to reach the peak. And prayer is a little bit like that. In that persistence, we find ourselves changing. That's really, really critical. Because in the changing, our values can often be more realigned with what God wants. Uh, You know, you might have a a child who comes to you as a parent, five years old, and says, I need a car. You go, well, look, tell you what, stick with the the tricycle, and then we'll get you a bicycle, okay? And then if you're lucky, we might get you something else, and eventually you'll get to be responsible enough to have a car, okay? That's how things work. And prayer and spiritual authority and spiritual responsibility is along similar lines. Learning and earning in the midst of that challenge is a really, really important part of, of prayer. And it keeps you in close relationship with God. Times when you're really pressing in. I'm sure many of you here are praying for people that you love, for their circumstances or their salvation. And these are things I say to you, don't give up. Keep on pressing in. Those burdens that you carry from the Lord for others are His burdens given to you to partner with him in prayer so that you will see the end result and you are changed in the process. It's so important to realize that. It's a process. 
Let me give you an example of this. It's a pretty powerful example, actually. This is literally a picture of the Garden of Gethsemane as it is today. Now, in the Garden of Gethsemane, you find some of the most powerful and intimate times uh, described to us uh, between God and Jesus. And we know that in that time of prayer, uh, his disciples had already packed up for the night and gone to sleep. Okay, so here is Jesus praying, and we have this, this record of him praying to the Father, saying, Lord, take this cup from me. Okay, so the cup is a, a picture, an illustration of this, uh, this, this wrath, literally this cup of wrath that is about to be poured out on him for the sins of the world. Take this cup from me, but not my will but yours be done. He says it in the same breath. And you ask yourself, why is it that Jesus would be praying for something to go that he knew he had to carry? It's because in that process, his humanity is being skilled up, challenged, and, and, and I suppose in a sense strengthened for the journey is ahead of one of suffering. And so it's his humanity crying out, going, God, I don't want to do this. Not my will, but yours be done. Okay, in that same breath. And so there are times when we're called to journey into places, do things that we don't necessarily want to do. We can't change the past, but we can ask God to change the future. I was reading in the uh, newspaper yesterday um, a story about um, Bodie Miller. Now, Bodie was um, a downhill skier from the United States ski team. 18 months ago, um, him and his wife, they lost their little daughter, Emily, uh, to a drowning accident in their neighbor's back pool. She was 18 months. And so uh, Morgan Miller, um, Bodie's wife, is on a campaign now in America to try to get fencing put around pools. Perfectly understandable. But one of the comments that she said is that she said, I have been praying for the last 18 months that God would reverse time so that I could have my daughter back again. And you go, wow. A little bit like the guy praying that the capital of France gets renamed, really, isn't it? It's just not going to happen. But you can hear her intensity there. You can hear, feel her grief. And she's saying, all I want to do is just hold that child one more time. You know, so you can, you can feel that human experience there. And, and this is the same sort of experience that Jesus demonstrates to us when he's in that garden. He's saying, take this cup from me. And in there, there is a maturing process, a, a gravitas that is going deep within your life that is changing you from the inside out, that allows you to be the man and woman of God that God wants you to be, to carry the burden to struggle, to wrestle, to intercede for him and with him in ways that you may have never done before. And so I just want to leave you with these thoughts here. A few years ago, I read a book uh, called In Love and War, written by uh, Jim Stockdale. Now, Jim was an American fighter pilot, a commander, and he was, I believe, the second pilot to be shot down and put in prison during Vietnam during the Vietnamese War. And he lived in what they called the Hanoi Hilton, prisoner of war camp. And Stockdale made this interesting observation 
Because during that seven years that he was in jail, he was tortured, he was put in isolation, and so were many of the other prisoners from, uh, from the American uh, forces. As a Christian, he started to observe human nature in a way that he'd never been able to experience it before, obviously, a unique circumstance. But he said that the people who lived through this time were the people who had faith to identify the reality they were in. In other words, this was a really tough time. There's a really good chance we can die. We'll never get out alive. But we trust in God's bigger picture for our lives. He said, interestingly enough, the Christians who didn't survive, literally, were the ones who said, Lord, I believe we're going to be out by Christmas. Lord, I believe we'll be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and nothing would change. Lord, we're going to be out by Easter. I just believe in this. It's going to happen. And Easter would come and they'd still be there. He said, in nearly every scenario, those people who put limitations on God, who actually demanded from God in ways that they shouldn't have, but you can understand why they did, they perished. And their faith essentially abandoned them because their faith was not faith, it was a wish. And so he's written this, and I think it's a fantastic quote, and I think it applies to our faith life and to prayer. He said, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. There's a lot of thinking behind that comment. Because it tells us that faith is not demanding your solution from God. Faith is knowing that you will prevail in the end in spite of or in light of the brutal reality that confronts you. And this is why I talk about prayer in the context of the Garden of Gethsemane. This is why I talk about it in the context of a woman going to the judge demanding, demanding an answer, demanding for, in her case, justice. Prayer is cooperating with God in that place of abiding, but it also grows you. It also strengthens you. It also deepens you. And out of that comes encouragement. Out of that comes patience. Out of that comes perseverance. And dare I say it, long-suffering. We don't line up for that one, do we? Oh, God, please. I'd love the gift of long-suffering. But we get it anyway. And that's where our faith matures. So when we talk about the power of prayer, we're talking about the power of prayer that works both ways. You see, our prayers go to God, but his prayer for us is that we become more like his son, Jesus. That's God's prayer for us. And that's why prayer is a place of abiding, where this thing is a two-way street, a transaction, where we hang around long enough to hear what God is saying to us, rather than just giving him our shopping list and we go. Does it make sense? I hope it does, because we're going to finish there. Okay, let's stand. And uh, as we do, I'll just remind you that Tonight we have a prayer and praise night, perfect timing, perfect timing, and I'm sure you're going to be blessed if you make it down here tonight, uh, it's, these occasions have been absolutely superb. Oh yeah, and Bernie has a prayer of his own, just stand up Bernie, on the chair. Just appreciate help with the chairs at the end of the service if you're able to. Okay, that's right, so long-suffering, perseverance and patience. Thanks, Bernie. Okay, so let me pray for us. I think we can leave the...
team, music team behind, are we? Yeah. Okay. Father, we thank you that as we come to you today, we, we are your children. And uh, just like children who need to know the love of the father and the mother, we look to you, Lord, our father, and say, help us learn this prayer life that you have for us. Not something that we would shy away from, not something that we'd be fearful of, but something where we're deeply engaged with you. A prayer life that's big enough to take the brutal reality of a, of a life that we have to live in sometimes very difficult circumstances. So help us, God, to, to face up to that, that we can see your victory as we understand your will, as we can see your prayers being answered as much as we would see our desires being fulfilled. Change us, Lord, as we go up that mountain. Make us stronger. Give us the ability to see what you see and to feel what you feel. Allow us to intercede together on your behalf, on things that touch your heart. Allow us to be your people in a place of abiding, where we can just know that intimacy, that sweet touch of your spirit, that gentle whisper of your voice. For we are your people, Lord, and we see this picture and we're so hungry for it to be fulfilled. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.